Have you ever wanted to discover what's missing in your life? Metaphysics is available to all and is part of your life even if you don't know it. Welcome to Metaphysics, a view through the veil with Barb Crowley. Together we'll explore the mysteries behind metaphysics and how to use it to have a deeper understanding and advantage in life. And now here's your host, Barb Crowley. Hi, this is Barb Crowley and welcome to Metaphysics, a view through the veil. Today we're talking to Terrence Ward. Terrence has known depression all of his life and worked to get out of it. As a journalist, writer, and priest who practices from his home in Hudson Valley, New York, he has taken all of this, his experience and his information, to write his book, his new book, Empty Cauldrons, which he, um, where he combines his journalism, memoir, magic, and ritual and does a deep dive into depression. He actually talks about it in a pagan context, and we'll do both. We'll talk about it as a pagan, but also as just depression. So welcome so much to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Depression is endemic. It is just everywhere. Everybody seems to be depressed. Well, there's a lot of outside reason, but um, there's a lot of inside reason too. But let's start talking about your depression and how you have had to deal with it. Oh, sure. Uh, Depression for me actually started, I think, fairly young. Uh, Maybe I was in elementary school. I, I can't really be certain because there's a certain invisibility to the condition. It's it's not easy to recognize what's going on, especially if you're young and you don't know much about the world. But I, uh, I, I tended to isolate myself more as I was growing up and uh, something about me made me, you know, sometimes a target, which, which made it, it, made it hard to socialize well with, uh, with people my age when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand the the shifts that were happening in me very, very thoroughly. But really what I was doing is I was sometimes feeling impotent. I was suppressing anger and it was really taking a toll on my psyche. And it wasn't until I was a young adult that uh, that a professional was able to diagnose me as, as having depression and it helped me to realize that it had been there for, for probably quite some time. Did you think everybody felt like you felt when you were a kid? Because that's mm, one thing that... No, I didn't really. I, yeah. I, I definitely felt like no felt one different. could possibly feel like I feel, which is, yeah. I guess, the more classic teenager experience. Yeah, the teenager, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, even even, you know, well-adjusted teenagers feel that, you know, that, That's you know, true. I'm different. I'm different. You know, everybody else is better. <laughs> Seems to be a normal thing. Um, but you finally um, did realize that this or did somebody else step in and say, hey, you know, there, there's something off here. I, I needed some. uh some external involvement. Uh, for me, it got very, very serious. And uh, I ended up spending 30 days in an intensive care facility trying to uh, kind of get my head straight. And that was when I was first uh, 
introduced to the idea of antidepressant medication. And it was when I started to realize that a lot of what went on in the world around me had was filtered heavily by by how we all experience the world and mm-hmm. you know we only have one life to live at a time and it's hard to to understand that not everyone might see things as you do that is that's what i meant how did you know <laughs> how did you know because we're born with personalities and we only see the world through the personality and it takes yeah. it seems like it takes a while before you realize People aren't seeing what I'm seeing. <laughs> yeah, I, I needed a psychiatrist to point that out to me. Mm-hmm. And what happened that you actually got to that point that a psychiatrist stepped in or somebody else stepped in? Um, it it involved um, a fair number of pills mm-hmm. and a um, a pretty uh, contentious encounter with the police officers who were called to my home because of the fair number of pills. So you were kind of psychotic at that point? Uh, yeah, I, well, yeah. I was I was riddled with chemicals. I don't have mm-hmm. actually much of a clear recollection of everything that happened that night. Right. But um, I can assure you at least one officer was very unhappy with me because I had a bloody knuckle, oh, which, which yeah. really isn't me, but it's, yeah. it's where right. I was in, in that moment. And, uh, you know, I guess in a way it helped me uh, realize that police are really the worst people to call when someone's having mm-hmm. a mental health crisis. We didn't know the language yeah. for that when this happened, because this was, yeah. was in the, uh, the early 90s. But, uh, but, but we're, it, it thrills me that we're starting to, to recognize that people with, with certain training might not be the best people for every crisis. Mm-hmm. I, I wish we'd rush that along so that, <laughs> you know, along with them, too. They're in a situation that they can't really handle because oh, they sure. don't have the training for it. So I wish we did have those groups that they could call in. Now, I have to ask you, was that a self-medication or was that an, a suicide attempt? That was definitely an attempt. It was. I, I, I wasn't. I, I I wasn't interested in the, the the quick attempts I get, but that was definitely an attempt. And uh, I was banking on my roommate being either absent or inattentive, and I I failed on both counts. Thank God for that, right? Right. <laughs> I know. And you know, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the way you go into, maybe we should talk about that now. But the way you go into uh, suicide and how to approach somebody. Um, or talk to them with it, with suicide. I don't know. Is it a good idea to go there yet? Or do you want to? Well, it's on your mind. Why not? Yeah. We'll just wander around. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the idea of we, we are living beings and the idea of ending our own lives is out of our experience to the point where no one else really understands how to address that sort of situation. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying for for other people because it, you know, for a lot of reasons. Could it be I, I feel that myself? If you feel that, and you know, am I in peril? And we don't understand it much. And I think we make two big errors when we're talking with people. And one is not taking them seriously when they're talking about ending their own lives. And the other is taking them too seriously when they're not talking about ending their own lives. Mm-hmm. It's, it's easy to jump to the conclusion that someone 
who is having a hard time with depression is is ready to do something violently self-destructive even if they've never mentioned that even if there's no history of that you can you can have uh unexpected wellness calls to your home which are not particularly don't really feel very good Mm -hmm. you can uh, you know people can can just get involved in ways that that make you want to pull back at the same time if you brush off someone's talk of suicide it can it can have disastrous effects and and that's that's a tough road a tough kind of a balance beam to walk uh some of the the professionals that i talked to for my book said that what's really important to recognize is that someone having a plan and access to what it takes for that plan for instance for me i i had a plan that involved some prescription medication and it was in the house mm-hmm. i had everything i needed i i was in danger of of actually yeah. going through yeah. with this act if if someone is saying sometimes i think i i should just end it all well that's really worrisome and it's important to listen and try not to be judging but to listen or to and go to into understand. a panic yourself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's give give them time to find out, help you find out how serious it is. We ha- there are resources. There are more resources now than when I published this book. Mm-hmm. There's 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 nine eight eight, which is um, a wonderful blessing. The suicide uh, crisis, uh, suicide and crisis lifeline, which which anyone in the United States can call to help get connected to a local crisis center. It's hit and miss how well it's working right now because it's it's a big it's so new. rollout. Yeah, but it is is a big step forward. It is, and, and you know this way I don't need to know like the local crisis line just because someone might be having a crisis. Mm-hmm. Three three digits is just a, a sea change. Right. One of the things you talk about in your book, which I thought was fabulous, is which part of you wants to die. That question alone changes the whole conversation and actually brings you to a place where, in my opinion, it's kind of manageable for all parties. It almost changes the conversations from, you know, from I want to die to, yeah, but which part? You know, it it shifts Mm -hmm. everything, you know, which to me is like throwing out the life preserver. You know, and giving them something to hang on to. Which yeah, part? I of think you? I think a healthy human mind always has a lot of voices in it, and mm-hmm. and we're always kind of in a constant conversation with ourselves. And being able to name or identify those parts that are experiencing the pain really can be important. It's I think my my entire approach to depression I think is about being able to see it as separate from yourself, which is mm-hmm. really difficult because it's it's in there in your head. It feels like right. it's you. And yeah. if you've lived with it long enough, you don't know anything different. Well, that's a lot of it too. But before we go there, one <laughs> thing I love about the which part of you, mm-hmm. it's a thought that the person who wants to commit suicide has probably never had and that steps them back right there it, it's like stepping them back off the ledge you know say which part of which part and then you go into this part of you that wants to live but you know i, I was just amazed at that but um let's go to what is depression you know what is it and then we'll go into 
you know, the pieces. <laughs> we did jump right into the deep end. <laughs> oh, that's fine. That yeah. is fine. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, Barb, it's, it's really hard to nail down that simple question. Right. Because look at it. We're, we're, we're using this, this word for a crippling experience, and we also use it to describe how we feel when a ball game has rained out. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at the clinical definitions, they're comprehensive, but they're really long and they're hard. Oh, my God. They go on forever. And in the end, you have no idea what they say. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I think it's what I like to do. And, you know, I'm I'm not a licensed mental health worker in any Mm -hmm. any jurisdiction and any training. But and and I just approach this as well. What is this word? Depression means to 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 keep something down. And really, depression is that. It can be a depression of your mood. It can be a depression of sleep or of wakefulness. It could be a depression of sociability or of thought or of motivation. It's it's usually a mix of these things, but Mm -hmm. it's parts of yourself that are being kept down. In the case of, of the crisis I was talking about in my own life, my my will to live was de- was depressed, mm-hmm. among other things. Yeah, but but depression is really about st- stuffing down those 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 aspects that make life as vibrant as it is. Mm-hmm. And then and there's a well, I've seen it in my own life, and sometimes it's straight out pain, horribly deep, and other times it's just a flatness. Mm which is just, it's like the world in black and white and no up, no joy, no, everything's just an effort. It's a flatness. Yeah, yeah. I had one of the people I interviewed in my book, uh, Joshua Tenpenny, distinguished between black depression and gray depression. And that says a lot because... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Um the depression first be, before we go into that the the i because we are in a world of isolation and isolation is so dangerous and depression loves isolation and creates isolation mm-hmm. but at the same time after covid and then social media um especially the younger group they almost don't know how to communicate you know they are they are isolated they are so isolated and there's a high degree of depression and anxiety do you think it's coming from social media and all i i i think that connecting with human beings in physical space has value that we don't barely yet understand we we haven't been able to scientifically measure it and it's but it's real and i think that the experience of the shutdown at the early part of the, the pandemic really mm-hmm. helped drive that home that it's it, it basically that was like the behaviors of depression were forced upon a society yeah from from yeah. outside and i'm sure it drove depression right into a lot of those people and it's just terrible and and you're right social media isn't isn't going to compensate for the loss of of being physically present with other beings, mm-hmm. they 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 we 
if you're just engaging with your eyes, and that's really all you're doing, you're using a single way to perceive the world by looking at what's written on a screen and then sending words out it or watching videos, it's, it's, it's not going to engage your full self and it's going to cause harm. Mm-hmm. And there's some kind of energy exchange between two people who are face-to-face that doesn't go on with social media. No, There's some kind of energy exchange that I think we need it like, you know, air and water, you know, and, but it's so subtle that you can't say, oh, I need that. <laughs> you know? I mean, it, it's, it's a tough thing. Um, but you take depression and you put it outside of yourself. You want to talk about that? Yeah, there's there's several different techniques I've I've used. And the basic, the easiest, the basic one is is I I lean into my strength of writing. I mm-hmm. uh, I I use journal exercises, and I have a number of them in the book to yeah. to help. You have great write. ones, yeah. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, you know they they vary from writing about your feelings to writing to the depression itself. Uh, there, there, there's, there's suggestions for, for trying to engage your imagination and picture a life without depression. Uh, but I really like the idea of writing, say, a letter to depression because then you're entering into dialogue with it, and which is extremely hard to do because you know I talked about how we have all these voices in our head and that's normal and natural, but the voice of depression sounds just like one of the voices that belongs there. And mm-hmm. thus, it's hard to distinguish it. One of and and sometimes these journal exercises can be used to help place it in a different space so that you can engage with it. I've I've taken more extreme approaches though, including uh, placing it physically into an object I call a depression totem and setting it in its own shrine and giving it attention and and love and attention in a different space. I feel it is draining my love and attention when it's inside of me. And if I can do it on my own schedule and my own time, I can perhaps give it what it needs and not have to go through life with it just taking when it feels like it, just kind of like take control of the relationship. So you're t- taking seniority, basically, uh, rather the, than giving the, the depression. Yeah, the depression, the seniority. Um, there's something bad. I talked about this a little bit before we came on. There's something very alluring about depression. There's almost like a, it's almost like a drug. It's almost like a, um, where you want to fall into it and stay there. And I don't understand that, actually. I think that that that's also related to the fact that it speaks to us in our own voice. We we trust ourselves, and it's going to say, "Oh, you don't want to go out there with those jerks. They don't really like you. You're just much better staying home." Oh, do you really need to bother with 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 going into work today? Just take a sick day. You'll be better off. You can't stand those people anyway. And you you learn to trust yourself from a very early age, and that feels like yourself. And I think it. I, it, it, I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't release some sort of a of, of a chemical in the brain like related to dopamine maybe that just helps keep us content and, and happy and still by telling our brain to to release these chemicals that make you say, nah, you don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. Actually, someplace in the book it said, whatever depression tells you to do, 
do the opposite. <laughs> oh, you really need to. Do That's why it's opposite. important to recognize its voice. Yeah. Because it is going to tell you to do all sorts of things that aren't good for you. And, and then and- you want to do because you're you're stagnant at that point. You have no energy. You have uh, no ability in a way to fight it. Yeah. You know, and you don't even know to fight it. But the, there's a, such a lack, as I said, flatness, a lack of energy. And there's a somehow a comfort in crawling into that hole. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if it's drama, too. I, I couldn't figure that out, if there's also drama involved that makes you feel more alive, or at least reminds you you are alive. I, I do think that those, those strong outbursts of emotion that you speak that you can experience during depression, flashes of anger and such do, do, do something. They, mm-hmm. they do help you feel like you know how to feel still. Yeah. And, and I, like I you're you important. Yeah. You're important. Maybe. Yeah. You know, it's like, look at me. I'm important. You know, you need to pay attention. I'm in trouble. I'm drowning. Yeah. There's something in there that <laughs> says, come that, in, come in here. <laughs> it it might be here. that the, the, the drama is a part of you that doesn't want to die and doesn't want to be smothered and is trying to get you out of it. Mm-hmm. I actually once said to uh, someone who ended up working in a psych ward, and uh, she and I had been friends her whole life, and, and she said, and I always thought that if you – that everybody had thoughts of suicide in their life. And, and you know, you'd have to be weird not to. She, uh, so she starts working in the psych board. She calls me up one day and says, you know how we always thought this? Not true. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, no, <laughs> not true. <laughs> but, um, yeah, because I had just taken it as a normal thing that I thought everybody had those. those and since thoughts. we aren't really willing to talk about it how are we going to find out right right and yeah exactly and you don't know somebody who doesn't have them would you know it's foreign to them. you mm-hmm. don't know i know it's pretty pretty wild but when she called me up and said not true <laughs> it was like oh <laughs> that's a good friend yeah <laughs> yeah um what about that theory that uh depression is self anger anger turned in you know, I, I, I definitely have heard that a lot. I, I, I think more of it is that anger turned inward, which I, I certainly did experience, is, is one of the ways that weakens your defenses and allows depression in. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I don't think that it actually, I don't think depression is entirely self-generated. Uh, if, or, or even if it is, I think it, it, it develops its own personality uh, on its own. But, but I, I like to think of it as we have sort of a, a, a psychic or a spiritual immune system that gets chipped away. And, and frankly, some of us don't have as strong of it as, as others because we get passed down whatever traumas our ancestors had, and that's going to sometimes leave mm-hmm. us not, uh, not as well off to start. And and once those defenses are chipped away, whether it's by by anger turned inward or or tragedy in our lives or other trauma, it's it's going to be easy to for depression to to swoop in and say, "Here, let me take care of you. Let me take you away yeah. from all this." Yeah, 
rock in my world. (laughs) (laughs) Now, do you think the ancestral, do you think that's coming down genetically? Or do you think it's, um, you know, it's being passed down as a, um, yeah, I don't know, you know, more nurture versus nature, I guess, you know. that is a tricky one. Um, yeah, I don't know the answer. That's why I'm laying it on you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I interviewed Courtney Weber, who is a, a marvelous author. And if you've never talked to her, I, I hope you do someday. Oh, okay. Thanks. What, what, what Courtney told me is, is that uh, Courtney looked into her own history, uh, family history, and, and learned about the, uh, the traumas of immigrant ancestors and and like how I think there was a great grandmother who who had to bring up a bunch of kids without uh, with without a husband and uh, and impressed upon her own children you must get married and that turned into you must be beautiful and it turned into like, eating disorders and and I, I think there is a lot of we we teach our children to guard them against the pains we've we've experienced which gets handed down but i think the line with genetics is blurry i think we don't really understand as much as we think we do about what informs our our genetic makeup and and where the line between nature and nurture can be drawn and also there there and i thought this was fabulous there's a big part in the book about um is it an autoimmune is it inflammation? Mm. Is it is it a safety? You know, really a safety measure to protect you. Yeah, I was I was stunned by by that research. I wasn't expecting I know. to discover that. <laughs> I was too. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, you think about the the different behaviors. How uh, like I was just contemplating this. Uh, if 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 you're prone to just staying still, well, if you had a broken bone, it might heal easier. Mm-hmm. If, if you're not moving around, you're probably and, and you have an open wound, you might not contract an infection from someone in your tribe. There's there's yeah. there's a lot of interesting evidence suggesting that maybe this this comes from an attempt to to keep a, ourselves and, and our community safe from mm-hmm. from the dangers that we faced like 10,000 years ago. It doesn't really work well for us now. No. And it might keep us safe now, too. So stay in, don't go out, because you're not present enough to cross the street safely. It's true. I mean, it might not only be 10,000 years ago. It might be now, I think of um, a a modern example that we know works like that is sickle cell anemia. It's it's a terrible, painful disease that often kills people in their 40s. However, people that have sickle cell anemia have a, a much stronger immunity to malaria. And malaria will kill you a lot quicker than that. Wow, it's, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, it's the kind of tough decisions that, that seem to happen in evolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, well, this sucks, but this sucks more. Yeah, exactly. You can, you can have kids, right? Yeah, you can reproduce, and that is what life's into. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> I know. Um, you know, the self-esteem part. Is it the self, low self-esteem before mm-hmm. or after? You know, I mean, the end result is a low self-esteem, but did it start with that? And and then you know, I have to. St- I have to say that 
um, Winston Churchill and the Black Dog. Well, oh, it seemed like that. he had a pretty good self-esteem. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like, what would what would Churchill have been like without his black dog? Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Because can you imagine the ego there? <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so which do you think, though? You know, do you start with the low self-esteem or, you know, do you, a lot of depression, you end up with the low self-esteem because you don't trust yourself anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely true. And and there's no question that uh, if you're in an environment where you're experiencing a lot of uh, psychological or physical abuse, it's going to take your self-esteem down. Whether that causes depression or whether it's concurrent with it moving in, I'm not sure. I think it's another one of those chicken egg mm-hmm. questions where the answer might be yes. You yeah. know, maybe it's it's not as simple as that. It can it, it might be able to enter at any point in the continuum. Mm-hmm. And that actually is the inflammation as well. As if if there was trauma, if there was abuse, or if there was just excess stress that to protect you, you know, that results in inflammation and then the protection of depression. Yeah. You know, it's pretty interesting. But I have to back up a little bit because you and I are talking about the black dog and our listeners may not know about that. <laughs> so you want to tell them about that? I realized after we did that. You know? Oh, yeah. Uh, when, when Winston Churchill uh, in, in, I think, one or more letters referred to to uh, to the experience of depression as being when 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 his black dog would visit. And mm-hmm. and and use that as the the metaphor for 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 what what it was like, and I I think it's it's kind of captured the popular imagination, or at least the, the imagination of historians. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I didn't until I read it in your book. I really didn't know about it. I knew he had depression, but I didn't know it was the black. He had placed it outside of himself. Yeah, as you suggest, as you have done. Yeah. And you talk about in your book, which, you know, I like that idea because inside of yourself, it owns you outside mm-hmm. of yourself. You own it, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Now, mind you, in, in my personal experience, uh, you can walk a dog or a dog can walk you. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily going to be easier when it's outside of you, but at least you have a fighting chance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there a difference? Because you do talk about uh, the pagan patient, and that's really your your focus in the book. Is a pagan patient different than, you know, just somebody with depression? I, I think the uh, the worldview is really what makes wrestling with depression different when you're a pagan. I think no matter what your spiritual beliefs are, whether you have them or not, you can you can experience depression, but as, as a pagan, you uh, you you might think about it differently. Like uh, many pagans, practice magic, and it's not uncommon to find yourself uh, either not caring to or not feeling that you can when you're in a period of depression. Uh, is you can also feel rather cut off from uh, any spirits or gods that you have a relationship with. And 
you know, I haven't been a monotheist in a very long time, but I, I think that being cut off from multiple gods must feel worse than just being cut off from one. I beg one to of, differ, having been brought up Catholic. <laughs> well, I gave that up for Lent. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, being cut off from one god, you you don't have anybody else to turn to. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, you know, that was it. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's true. Yeah. <laughs> So with the mono, you know, the mono stuff, Polly, at least you say, well, if you're not going to talk to me, I'll talk to that one over there. And there's absolutely people who have the experience of certain gods who uh, are either don't go away or don't seem to go away or seem to become more present during periods of depression. Mm -hmm. Like there's like, oh, this is this is this is my time. I'm going to help you through this, which which is really reassuring for the people that have that experience uh gods like dionysus and uh, and hella have been named as as being particularly interested in helping people their their worshipers through those times and and that's 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 such an important thing to have i i don't think the gods i don't think any gods or spirits really withdraw i mm-hmm. i just think our that's one of the things that's depressed is our our ability to to recognize their presence. We yeah. won't we won't see the signs they send. Mm-hmm. And also, when you're drowning, you don't have time for you know little little nudges. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like save me, save me. <laughs> yeah, but um, the depression as a spirit. You know, um, where I talked about it being outside of you, but depression as a spirit. Yes. Yes. I, 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 I really feel that this, this resonates with me. It's, it's, it's not everyone I talk to for my book feels the same way, but for me, it is, it's the approach that's been the most effective because it, 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 if, if it is something else, I can ask it what it wants. And I might not get an answer I like, but at least I can be in relationship with it because it is not me. I, uh, the fact that, that we all who, uh, it seems like everyone I've talked to who's experienced depression uh, has, has the experience of, oh, that's the depression talking. Well, it's talking. That means that it, it probably has agency. Mm-hmm. It might not be. Wait a minute. We just lost you. I think your cat got involved. <laughs> can you hear me now? I can. Yeah. Oh, good. good. <laughs> yeah. I, I had the door closed, but you know. Uh huh. <laughs> but I, if what. Uh, we know who's in charge there. <laughs> I have to say to the people who are listening, he was, he just had his cat on his desk and was petting his cat as he was talking to us. And then the cat well, decided. Didn't want you to talk to anybody else. <laughs> Remind me, we should talk about pets before we're done. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And how important they are. But we were talking about uh, depression as a spirit. Yeah, yeah. Which I has mean, its own energy and its own. Well, go ahead. You yeah, know. I, uh, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an animist. I see spirit in many things in the world and and. I think a lot of people think of animists as someone who just sees spirit in like a rock or a tree, but I came to realize that there is another spirit inside of me. Mm-hmm. And the first reaction most people have to that is like, well, I need to cast this out. This is obviously something that's, that's 
evil and invading me. Well, this is actually a spirit that has evolved with humans for, for thousands of years. You know, we, 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 have, we have many life forms inside of us that have evolved with us. Everything from the, 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 the microorganisms in our gut to mitochondria were once independent organisms before they moved into the cells of, of, of ancient life. Really? Yeah, yeah, they they huh. they way 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 back, like long before I think, but I think before mammals separated, mitochondria were separate, and they they've just moved right in and become part of us. And I think depression has been with humans for for long enough that it's not necessarily something we can cast out, but it's something that we can recognize and get into relationship with. As as I suggested earlier, I think. It, it might have good intentions, but they're, they're, it's slow to realize that times have changed and that it's doing harm. Or like wisdom hand, teeth kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Like or on the other teeth. hand, it's, 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 it's out there to, to hurt us, and it thinks it's hilarious that we've let it stick around for so long. I, I think that a, a telling a story about it means well but doesn't know what it's doing is more helpful for my approach Mm -hmm. because stories are an important way that humans relate to the world and the stories we tell ourselves can get awfully crappy when we're in depression yeah yeah and when we don't know the difference that the depression is is a different voice is not or shouldn't be the predominant voice in today's world i mean that's that's hard to know Especially, as I said, there's some kind of an allure. (laughs) No question. Uh, Yeah, let me crawl into the corner and under the covers. Um, And some of the things that you think, well, let me have you go through some of the things to combat the depression. That um, especially if you're, you realize you're in a depression and don't know what to do about it. And a lot of people don't want to go to the doctor about it. They're afraid of the drugs. They, um, and again, depression is an isolating thing. It wants to stay isolated because it retains its power, in my yes. opinion. You know, But, um, but you have a couple of, of things that you, people need to start doing to combat it. Yes, uh- I, I, let, let me know if I don't hit the ones that, that you have in mind, but okay. uh, we, we, we already talked a little bit about how depression tells us to do things and we should do the opposite. Yeah, that's a and, good red flag. <laughs> do the other thing. <laughs> and, 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 that in, and, and that comes back to the power of community for me. Uh, mm-hmm. And community includes interacting with people outside of your home and the people who, who, who really are your friends, whether or not, that voice in your head says they're not anymore. And it, it probably also means seeking out some professional help because there it is really tricky to get through this stuff. Now, pagans can have particular concerns about professional help. Uh, if I talk to a... Now, all therapists are supposed to be completely neutral and non-judgmental, but they're also all humans. Yeah. And if I talk to a therapist about uh, my experiences with gods, that therapist might be deeply offended if that therapist happens to 
be a monotheist. Mm-hmm. That therapist might be an atheist who thinks that I must be crazy and I'm hearing voices and start working on the paperwork. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe neither of these are true, but I'm going to worry about one of them happening. And, and not only that, the, uh, the other fear that I think is very predominant is um, they'll lock me up. The, if yeah. I say, especially if I say anything about suicide or having suicidal thoughts, yes, that they'll lock me up. They'll, they'll take away my freedom. And that is not what any decent mental health professional wants to do. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a last resort. There's going to be a lot of work first. And they, they, will, they will do that if they need to, to keep someone safe. But it is really not what's happening. If, mm-hmm. In most cases, if, if, you, if you're able to find a way to connect with a therapist, you should be able to, to get some healing from that without putting yourself in danger. But you can be frank about those concerns. One of the, the other challenges, though, is psych medication, including antidepressants. Now, yeah. I, I was resistant to the idea just on principle. Mm-hmm. But, but there are people... In, in the pagan community who have such vibrant and powerful relationships with certain spirits that they actually do go into dialogue with them. Mm-hmm. And if you tell a mental health professional about, that, about the voices in your head, that's something, again, that could get you locked yeah. up. That's, that's a concern. Right. And psych medications actually can impact those relationships, which, mm-hmm. which can feel tragic. Raven Caldera, a a shaman who has a lot of strong spiritual relationships, told me for the book that the right medication is might might actually have that impact, but eventually it's going to be okay. Within a few months, if it's the right medication, those spirits will be back and hanging out with you. They'll have figured out the way back in. Yeah. If it's yeah. if it's not, that might be one of the indications. There's probably other indications, other side effects that you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. And you need to chronicle all of them because if you don't write down what you're feeling, you're not going to be able to track it because your brain is going to say, I've always felt this way. Right. Which brings us to the mood journal. Oh yeah. 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 That's that's a startling idea because what what you find if you get into a practice of writing down your moods not on a regular basis, but on an irregular basis, and I'll get to what I mean by that, you'll discover that you do actually feel things like happiness, but you forget about them when you're in depression. Yeah. That the next, yeah, at the end of the day, you might say, I felt depressed all day, but if you look at, at a mood journal, you might discover that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. Now, I say irregular because it's, it's, I think, helpful if you don't have a standard I'm going to write down my mood when I wake up and when I go to sleep because you might not get the full range. Yeah. It it's tricky to figure out a way to make it irregular. Um there there are apps but they're all kind of scheduled. Yeah. But you kind but of if, thought about putting in a the night before, putting yeah. in arbitrary alarms or notices. Yeah, or or you could look for you could decide on a visual cue like um Depending on where you live, uh, if if I see a crow, I will write down my mood. If I uh, 
If I hear somebody talk about baseball, I'll write down my mood, something like that, because mm-hmm. you don't know when it's going to happen, or maybe it'll yeah. happen too much. You have to be, you have to be discerning. We're about not at all. Yeah. Yeah. We're <laughs> not at all. That's the other problem. Yeah. Especially if you're isolating. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And how does uh, physical exercise come in on this? Oh, that's, that's, that's important because emotions in my mind don't come from the brain. They come from the body. Mm-hmm. And it's when we move our bodies that we can change the way we're feeling. Emotions inform our thoughts and they color our thoughts, but it's the physical actions of what we do. When we clench our fists and, and, our, and our teeth and, and really build up energy and start to tremble, it feels just like anger because that is anger. Mm-hmm. And if we laugh, we feel better because we've experienced something that has to do with happiness. The, the, the emotion comes first in, in a lot of cases. And, but it's not, again, it's not always that way. If you have a thought that reminds you of certain emotions, your body is going to respond. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and they it's, say again, if you smile, even if you're feeling horrible, if you smile, it shifts uh, the way you yeah. feel. So doing the the physical thing first actually shifts the emotion. Yeah, and that's why meditation is is very important because it can help calm the body and meditation or or grounding and centering things that 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 help you quiet your thoughts often quiet your body too and help you be, feel more in control of what those emotions are going to be. Mm-hmm. And you have meditation. You have a don't you have a mini meditation? I, yeah, I have yeah, what different I call micro, types of meditations. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 my experience is that is that sitting with my eyes closed was just overwhelming at certain points in my mm-hmm. life. And if that, and I, I recommend if you feel that way, start with a really tiny amount. If if it's only thirty seconds or a minute, just to get yourself in the habit. I don't think you're going to get any of the benefits of meditation at that level but if you can get into the habit you can always add to it and you can add to it as gradually or as quickly as you like but the more the generally today most people who who are interested in meditation as a lifestyle recommend chunks of 20 minutes mm-hmm. and, I, and that's probably the best amount of time for for us in the 21st century but if you can't do that that's okay just getting into routine any routine really is is good for a de- person in depression because if you have a routine you can do those things whether or not you feel like it because your body right. will remember one of the things you talk about getting up in the morning, don't go right to work, which is easier to do because it gives you something to think about, mm-hmm. but to stop and to have a uh, an altar, really. Yeah. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I find that that a practice with an altar is a really, really essential part for for myself, and 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 others have have agreed with that. Uh, Courtney Weber said, "If you're uh, if you're not feeling spiritually well by going to your altar once a day, you should go three times a day." Yeah. Um, and somebody said, "If you don't, if you don't have time to meditate for five minutes, do it for an hour." Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, it was like okay. <laughs> if, if, if going going to an altar and especially expressing gratitude. 
mm-hmm. is is I think a really important uh, part because it's it's easy to forget what you're grateful for, just like it's easy to forget happiness and and other positive right. emotions when you're in depression. And if you if you sit and give yourself enough time to remember what you what makes you feel grateful it's it's going to to help shake loose some of that miasma that's just kind of sloughing you down mm-hmm. um we're actually coming to uh, you know we're getting short on time and i want to go through what's grief versus depression because people mix that up oh it's easy to mix that up mm-hmm. one one of them has an unambiguous external source and it has a beginning and an end, and that's grief. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be a very long time between the beginning and the end, and everyone's grief journey is different. Depression can feel very much the same, but you don't necessarily know when it started, and it's there's no certainty that it's ever going to end. It actually, one of the horrifying things is the idea that you might feel like this forever. It, with with grief, you you can say like you know if your your parent or your spouse or your child died, then then you'll know what the source of the pain is. With depression, we often don't know. Right. I actually think it's not a bad idea to tell a new story about that. Pick a cause for your depression. You'll never know the actual answer, mm-hmm. but the stories we tell can shape our lives. Yeah. But I've, I've heard people pick stories about depression, and they never happened. <laughs> you know, and now they're married to their story, and the story really never happened. Yeah. It, you know, if, and that's kind of weird. Healing, if it's mm-hmm. bringing them healing, I'm all for it. But, but stories are very powerful, and they don't necessarily right. bring healing. Yeah. And and But the other thing is, is it gives reason, because, it, you know, people – Everybody, I think, needs a reason for their depression. They don't understand it's just here. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no reason for this. It's just here. It's a hard thing to accept. Yeah. Very I, I don't think that stories that, that involve blaming an individual are going to help because it's just going to feed the anger. But but if you can find a story that helps you, you know, bear up as and like a on a hero's quest sort of thing mm-hmm. then i think you'll be a much better place to be able to to reimagine your relationship that also this. helps in putting it outside of yourself yep i think that's a big part of it um a quick question no i'm not going to ask that one because i want to ask about the you know i'm looking at the time i want to ask about the pets Oh yes, yeah, yeah. That's yes. so important. Yeah. Well, what you know, if you're in in a deep depression, you really might not want to get out of bed. And there is mm-hmm. nothing as motivating as a hungry cat or dog that needs to get walked right. to force you to get your body moving, and thus gets you both the exercise and the body movement that's important that we talked about, and also. It, it reminds you that there's unconditional love in the world and that this this creature does depend on you and there's a reason what, probably why this creature is in your life and it's it's never going to give you the same kind of angst you're going to get from a human being. And you're yeah. probably not going to apply that sort of uh, harsh filter to like a chinchilla or a guinea pig that you're going to do to another person. Mm-hmm. 
or to yourself. Yeah. There's a lot of self-abuse in there. The thinking where we were saying you need a reason and, you know, blaming somebody else. The blaming yourself is is pretty um, self-debilitating, but it's also a cycle. Yes. And and it's a cycle that's hard to get out of and, and break. It, it's a tough one, blaming yourself. And and forgiving yourself. By the way, too, the one I wanted to ask was, what's the difference between an altar and a depression uh, shrine? Are they the same thing? Well, I think of an altar, and I think it varies depending on 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 your tradition. I think of of an altar as being a place where you uh, can communicate with with any gods or or divine forces. A shrine, I think, is dedicated to something specific. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I I like to keep my depression shrine uh, hidden in a dark corner on the floor where it's where it's out of the way and out of sight and out of mind. So you only see it when you go to it. Yeah. <laughs> Again, now, that keeping might not it controlled. Because yeah. if you you might need to keep it in view because then you'll remember if then you'll see if it's getting neglected because if it's getting neglected, I could I could assure you the depression is not living there anymore. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, good thing. And do should you go look for a reason of depression or should you just take it as it is? Uh it depends on what's eating at you. Well, if, that's the thing you don't know often with depression. Yeah, if you well, know all well, of a sudden you one, realize you're kind of depressed, but you don't know why. <laughs> well, if the question of why is is all consuming, then then find a reason. Mm-hmm. If it's just I recognize that I am having these struggles, then you might not need a reason because you, because you might actually recognize that other people are also having this struggle and you actually have a leg up. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you might not need to, to, to pursue that question, which, which can be infuriating. It can be, but it also takes you out of yourself. <laughs> I mean, look out there, not in here. Although yeah. I don't know if that's good sometimes, but... You know, one thing I do want to say, and then and then I'll bring you in on where everybody can get your book, is I noticed if I took an antihistamine, my depression would lift. It wouldn't go away <sighs> completely, but it would lift. And now when I see people in depression, I tell them, go get a antihistamine and take it for like three days <laughs> and That's see amazing. how you feel. Yeah. And I think in reading your book, you talked about uh, the inflammation. And yeah, not, and that, that might be lot, it right there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Right, there, there might be that might be a, an interesting line of inquiry. Mm-hmm. So I learned that. I I want to ask you where everybody can get hold of you and get your book, since we're coming to close. Oh, sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Since since I've discovered my name is not the easiest to spell, it is not the name of my main website. I used three easy to spell words: truepaganwarrior.com. Mm-hmm. And there you can find all my social media links. There you can find uh, ev- ev- more information about about this book. As for buying the book, uh, it's published th- through Llewellyn, and you can certainly buy it directly through the Llewellyn site. I, I encourage people to go to their local bookstore and ask for it by name. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. any bookstore owner would be happy to order a book if it means a sale. Oh, yeah. And then and it hey, gets- maybe they'll order two. 
Well, that's it. And it gets it in there, too, which is great because then it's accessible to other people who also need it. And you're supporting I've your made it out owners. to a bookstore. Yeah. <laughs> I've made it out to a bookstore. Hey, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate all your information. I have one more question. Do you work directly with people? If somebody emailed you, would you work directly with them or? I, 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 I certainly I am trained to give a uh, limited form of spiritual coaching. It is not mm-hmm. counseling, and I know well, you work when as to a refer priest. To. Yeah, yeah. And and part of my training is to recognize when the the coaching is no longer helping, and that they need a referral to a mental health professional. But yeah, mm-hmm. I do I do coaching for people. I I just and maybe I'm hold their hand happy. through that as yeah. well. Yeah, great. Thanks so much for being on the show. I really enjoyed it. I loved all the information. It's been great. Thank and you. Uh, thank God you're out here talking about this. So many people are lost. So it's great. Well, thanks so much. Have a great weekend. Thank you for joining us for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Barb Crowley, next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoy your upcoming weekend.